Okay, well, good morning. And as Andy said, my name is Mary. I have the joy of being married to Andy. And um, a special warm welcome to the Forbes family and friends who are here today for Elizabeth's dedication. Really welcome. I'm going to pray. Let's close our eyes. Jesus, thank you that you know every single person here. You know their name. You know them. You love them. You're for them. Thank you, Jesus. You've got good things to say to our hearts and minds today. So please, will you help our ears to hear what you're saying, help our eyes to see what you want to show us, and help our hearts to be open to you to respond. We pray you help us now. Amen. So, have you ever needed rescuing? Actually, physically rescuing. Were you ever in danger? Two months ago, I was driving along the M25 on my way home, just between Potter's Bar Junction and South Mims, and the car suddenly started to slow down. And that was a bit strange, so I was putting my foot on the accelerator, but nothing was happening. The car was slowing down, whether I liked it or not. I was in the middle lane, and so I said to my son, who was there, the car's stopping, and I just sort of pulled over to the slow lane, but sadly, there was no hard shoulder on that section of the M25. So as it ground to a halt, even though I was pressing my foot madly on the accelerator and it was flashing engine failure at me, I pulled in to the not hard shoulder and as far as I could and said to Chris, get out, get out, get out. So we kind of scrambled out of the passenger side and climbed over a metal thing into some brambles and then kind of walked back so that we were further away from the car and realised that the AA probably couldn't help me at that point because there was no hard shoulder. There was actually danger involved, and we needed the police. So for the first time in my life, I phoned 999, had a very nice person talk to me, and um, basically was told the police will come, so hang in there. And suddenly, when when you're standing right there by a motorway, you realise how blooming fast it is. The cars are literally... And they were having to, we were on a slight bend, so these big lorries were coming around the corner and suddenly seeing this car sticking out into their lane and kind of swerving around it, and other cars were swerving around. And even though we were a bit further back from it, I thought, well, the car's in danger, even if I'm not. And suddenly, all the traffic stopped. It was amazing. Apart from the people on the other side that slowed down and shouted, you can't park there, mate. (laughs) Anyway, um, police, when I looked... Suddenly all went quiet, and there's a police car slowly coming towards me with all the cars behind him slowing down and stopped. And this nice guy gets out of the car. Well, 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 what seems to be going on here? Anyway, we were towed to safety. I have actually once been rescued from death by a life-saving operation that I'm very grateful for, and my husband's very grateful for, so he didn't have to bring four children up on his own. Hands up if you have ever been, if your life has ever been saved by physically by anything at all, whether whether a a rescuer, police person, an operation, a few of you. I love a good rescue film. Situations hopeless, everything's terrible, and the rescuer comes and saves the day. I wonder how many times James Bond has saved the world, or Captain Marvel, without us even knowing it. Or let's not forget Frodo Baggins, who thankfully threw that ring of power into the lake of fire. We've been saved so many times, haven't we, without even knowing it. Now, we're looking um, at the moment in church at a letter written by a man called Paul to the Christians in Rome. And the book's called Romans, and it's a letter to them. And last week, 
we, we're going on this journey, and it's a bit like going up a mountain and coming down the other side. So there are 16 chapters in the book, and each week we're looking at a different subject. So this is point three. We've had some good news at the top. Then last week we went into a terrible place. James talked about a desperate situation that we're in called sin. And you'll be pleased to hear that I'm glad I didn't preach last week. I get to preach some good news. We're kind of emerging out of this place of sin. Can you see? Salvation. So I get to preach on this. I'm very pleased. So James talked about trying to jump the Grand Canyon. Now, I don't know how far you can jump. Maybe I could jump a couple of feet, maybe a meter, um, possibly. How many of you know how long the longest high jump, no, long jump, recorded is? So I'm going to give you a choice. Six meters, seven meters, eight meters, nine meters, ten meters, or eleven meters, okay? All right? So you're going to put your hands up. Six meters, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Any advance on eleven? Right. So let me get this right. Mike Powell in 1991 jumped 8.95 meters. So if you said nine meters, you were the closest. You can pat yourselves on the back. Nine meters. And it hasn't been broken for 32 years. Now, if Mike Powell tried to jump that, he still wouldn't be able to, would he? However brilliant he is at long jump. And this verse here, I'm just going to encourage you. You see these blue Bibles in front of you. Grab one of them and turn to page... 1130, because we're going to look at the little bit that Beth read, and we're going to go through it verse by verse. And if you've kind of got it handy and your thumb in it, page 1130. And look at this verse here, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, however good we are at jumping, we would fall short of jumping across that big chasm, wouldn't we? All of us all of us. And that's the predicament we find ourselves in. We have all sinned, every one of us, even if it's not a very cool concept or word that we have all sinned. We need a rescuer. God is a wise, loving, wonderful God. He created each one of us for a really close friendship with him and a close relationship with him. And that's how it was when he first made the world. The first humans, Adam and Eve, they had joy. They had peace. They had a wonderful sense of just being absolutely, totally loved. They knew it. There was no fear. There was no pain. There was no sadness. There was no depression, no anxiety, no death. And they were completely in relationship with the God who loved them. It was all good. But then Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil and he came along and he said these words to them. Did God really say? Did God really say? They had the whole creation to enjoy. Beautiful garden. They could do everything they wanted. And God had not made them robots. He'd given them free will, free choice. And he'd given one condition. Don't eat from that tree. But these words had the effect of putting a doubt in their mind about God's goodness. And suddenly, whereas they knew he was good before, they suddenly were in a situation where they were doubting his goodness. And they chose to disobey him, and they went against his commands. And suddenly they felt in that moment the consequences of sin and death. They suddenly felt fear. They felt worried. They felt guilt. 
and they experienced separation from God in their spirit. They knew suddenly that they were separated, and they felt shame, and they hid. They hid from God, well, tried to hide from God. And all of us, when we're born, we're born into a broken relationship with God, all of us. How about this as a definition of sin? A refusal to believe that God is really good. A refusal to believe that God is really good. We distrust him because we don't really believe he's for us. And if we give him full control of our lives, we might be miserable because he can't be trusted. Adam and Eve didn't say to themselves, didn't say to each other, I know what, let's ruin our lives. Let's ruin everybody else's lives that's coming after us as well. They just thought, we want to be happy. But God's commands suddenly don't really look like they're going to make us happy. I know what, we'll take things into our own hands. Because we can't really trust him. So this mistrusting of God and this rebellion against his commands had the effect of separating us, all mankind, from God. Like a huge chasm that they couldn't bridge. Suddenly, where they'd been close, this chasm had opened up between them and God. And they felt this shame and fear and guilt. All that happens in the first two, first two chapters of this, if you want to read it. So that's the human predicament. We've been close to God, and now we're separated from him. But God didn't scratch his head and say, oh, no, my beautiful creation's all gone wrong. He had a plan all along. He knew this was going to happen, and he still chose to make the world. He still chose because he had a rescue plan. He had a plan all along. So fasten your seatbelts for a whistle-stop tour of the Old Testament, okay, which is the first bit of the Bible. God's love is for the whole world. His love's for the whole world. And the first part of his plan of rescue was choosing this old dude called Abraham, who was 75. And he promised Abraham, I am going to bless you, and I'm going to make you and your family line, your offspring, a blessing for the whole world. And Abraham kind of thought, well, I'm 75. I haven't got any kids. Once Abraham was 100, but he believed God. He trusted him. And when he was 100, he had a child called Isaac. And it was a truly miraculous thing. His wife was 99. It really was. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac then had Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And they were the 12 tribes of Israel. And the nation of Israel was born. And God, it wasn't like they were his favorites. But they were his chosen people to bring blessing to the whole world. God chose the whole world. But his plan of rescue was through this people group. So um, then the people of Israel, time went on. They ended up in Egypt. I'm just kind of, you know, giving you the the highlights. They ended up in Egypt for a long time, and then they became slaves in Egypt, and God raised up a rescuer for them called Moses, and they came out of Egypt, had a bit of a delay for 40 years, wandering around, and then ended up in the promised land. So they got there in the end, and were given the land of Israel. And God gave Moses what was called the book of the law. He gave them commands by which to live which would keep them safe. So a parent, whether you think of them as commands or not, you know, there are certain things that you put in place with your kids. Don't put your hand in the fire. Don't play with knives. Don't run into the road. We put certain boundaries in place to keep our little ones safe. And God gave this people that he loved and he had plans for. He gave them boundaries. And that was called the book of the law, the Ten Commandments and lots of other laws that were in there. 
And these boundaries would enable them to lead a safe, protected, happy, healthy, prosperous life where they could thrive and flourish if they obeyed them. If they obeyed them. So what do you think happened? Did they just obey them and we all lived happily ever after? No, they didn't obey them. They couldn't do it. They tried to, but they couldn't do it. And here's the situation. God made us all. He loves us all. And he chose for us to have a close, loving relationship with him. But we've turned our back, stuck two fingers up at him, said, I don't really trust you to actually set boundaries in place for me that will make me happy. I'm going to do things my way. And he made provision. He gave us the law, but we couldn't, we couldn't do it. And if we could lead, that would have enabled us to lead holy, righteous lives. And God could have been close to us and we could have been close to us, to him. So we're going to look at this passage now on that page, 1130. And verse 19 and 20 were the first bit of it. So I'm going to take it really kind of verse by verse, really, so that we really understand what it's about. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So part A of God's plan was to give the law. Because if we'd been able to do it, we would have been holy. And he wants close relationship with us. But if we're not holy, we can't have close relationship with him. But the law served the purpose of showing us that we needed him, that we couldn't do it. It showed us our need of God. Through the law, we became conscious of sin. If God's standard is holiness, how can we draw near to him when he's holy? So it seems like God and mankind are kind of trapped in a no-win situation. God loves us and wants relationship with us, but he's holy. And we're kind of on the other side of the chasm, and we probably don't care two hoots about God doing our own merry thing. But actually, we're trapped in the fact we're not leading flourishing, peaceful, joy-filled lives, knowing we're unconditionally loved. We're trapped. We're kind of on these two sides. And God gave us this free will. And then let's look at the next verse, because now we're going to start to climb out of it. Verse 21. Look at the first two words. But now... But now, that but now are really good news. And it says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. So what this means is, the righteousness of God, we couldn't be righteous. Righteous means made pure and right and holy. We couldn't be made right through the law because we couldn't do it. But he's saying, apart from the law in a different way from the law, in a completely different route, God has made it possible for us to become righteous. Let's look at this. This righteousness, look at verse 22, and it says, actually, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. It's verse 21. All the way through the Old Testament, the law was pointing to a different way. The prophets came and spoke, and they were pointing to a different way. And this different way is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus was God's rescue plan all along. All along. He didn't have to scrabble around quick, help, what do we do? Oh my goodness, 
They've turned their backs on us. What do we do to get them back? All along, the plan was Jesus. All along, the plan was Jesus. He's our rescue plan. And he humbled himself, the son of God. We sang earlier, the darling of heaven, a bit of a strange phrase. But the one that angels worship and adore and that is above all thrones, all powers, all dominions. We sang it, the one who is high above everything in the whole cosmos, humbled himself, became a man and lived such a perfect life that he fulfilled the law. He actually fulfilled, if this is the law over here, none of us could do it, but he lived a perfect life and he fulfilled the law as a human being. Incredible. And then it says, verse 25, let's jump ahead. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. This was the amazing plan, but the terrible plan. The terrible plan, but the amazing plan. What is a sacrifice of atonement? We don't really go around using the word atonement, do we? I think there was a film once called Atonement. Atonement, what does it mean? It means sort of paid for, made amends for. If you atone for something, you make amends for it. So Jesus was the one who was going to pay the price. You've probably all heard of Yom Kippur. I'm just going to read you what it says about this. Yom Kippur is the highest holy day of the Jewish calendar. It is a day of repentance, prayer, and fasting for all the Jewish people when the sins of the people were covered by a blood sacrifice. So when God gave Moses the law, he provided for one day a year, this day of atonement. When the people knew they'd screwed up, they knew they hadn't fulfilled the law, and one day a year, they would not eat anything, and the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. Well, first of all, he would kill an animal. He would take some of the animal's blood. He would go into the Holy of Holies in the temple, which was the place that only he was allowed once a year the most holy person, into the most holy place once a year, and he'd sprinkle blood on the altar. And that blood would be accepted by God to make amends for the sin of the people. You can read about it in Leviticus 16 if you want to. There's actually a bit more to it than that, and it's pretty cool. But Jesus was that lamb. He was that offering. We sang, worthy is the lamb. You know, when you start coming to church for the first time, some of the words in the songs are like, what is going on? What is that going on about? Worthy is the lamb. What are you talking about? We're talking about this. Because blood sacrifice was part of the old deal when blood had to be shed for our forgiveness. And Jesus was that sacrifice. He was that perfect lamb who fulfilled the law, whose blood was shed. And he was also our high priest who goes into that place no one else can go. And it's his blood. It's his blood that is shed for us. So worthy is the lamb basically means worthy. He's the only one who could do it, and it's his blood. That's why he's worthy. He's called the lamb of God. So what's our part then? Well, this said, Jesus presented, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. This is the amazing part. We can pretend that that sin that that we talk about is not there, can't we? I'm not as bad as him down the road. You know, we can pretend it's not there. We can pretend we're not as bad as someone else. We could stuff it down and ignore it. You know, we've all done stuff, thought stuff, said stuff that we're ashamed of. I haven't 
got a single family member or friend that I know who hasn't done stuff or thought stuff or said stuff they're ashamed of. We've got stuff in our lives. We've got stuff, haven't we? And we can kind of kid ourselves, well, well, I just won't think about it. Or stuff it down. We can, we can self-medicate by all sorts of means, can't we? We can ignore it. But something's not right. And even on the really good days when everything goes right, there's still something missing, isn't there? These sportsmen that achieve their highest goal they've ever wanted to achieve or astronauts that reach it to the moon, their highest goal. Often as they feel still the next day, was that it? Still an emptiness. That there's something that's not still satisfied. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. We've all sinned, all of us and fallen short of God's standards, his glory, and we're incapable with putting it right ourselves. But this is the good news. This is the good news. Jesus knew it. He knew we couldn't. He's not surprised by anything you do. He's not surprised by anything you think. He's not shocked by anything you've done or thought or said. He is not shocked and he's not surprised. And he loves you. And he's bringing good news. And this good news is this thing called grace. It's called not receiving what we deserve. Now, my brother, many years ago, was trying to explain this concept of grace to his seven-year-old son. Now, what you need to understand about Thomas, who is now 32 and a vicar, is that Thomas was very, very, very intelligent, very precocious and slightly annoying, truth be said. Um, you could have very, very interesting conversations with him. His teacher said he's going to have to be a lawyer one day because he always had the last word, and I would like him to be my lawyer, please, she said, when he was this age. So anyway, Jonathan, my brother, was trying to explain to Thomas what grace meant. So he said, Tom, Thomas, when you hit your brother, what is justice? And Thomas said, justice is a smack. Okay, now I know that's not politically correct. Don't write me off. Okay, what's the, what's the, what's the thing when you cancel? Cancel. Don't cancel me. Okay? Justice is a smack when you hit your brother. Okay? Or the naughty step, if you prefer. Okay, we'll, see. we'll just go with the smack. Okay, that's right. What would mercy be? Tom, if I show you mercy, what will mercy be? Mercy is no smack. Okay? Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is, getting, is not getting what you deserve. It's being let off. What's grace? And Thomas looked at him and said, taking me to McDonald's. Okay? Grace is McDonald's, people. Grace is McDonald's. Because grace is not only being let off and not punished, it's being given something you don't deserve. Okay? So many of you, how many of you have seen that musical Les Miserables? Les Miserables. So it's a musical, and there's a story about this thief called Jean Valjean. It's French. So you have to say it like that, Jean Valjean. And he's a thief. And one day, he, he is running away, he's hiding, he's running away from the police or whatever, and he comes across this, he goes to a home where there's this kindly bishop. And this kindly bishop welcomes him in and he feeds him and he clothes him and he gives him a bed for the night. And in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean wakes up and he steals his silver, the bishop's silver, and he runs away. And the bishop wakes up in the morning and he sees what's happened. But he gets caught and he gets dragged back in front of the bishop by the police and he's going to be thrown to prison and he's accused in front of the bishop of what he's done. And the bishop turns to, turns to the police and said, but I gave him the silver as a gift. 
And he turned to Jean Valjean, Jean Valjean, and said, and you forgot the candlesticks. Grace is McDonald's. Grace is the silver and the candlesticks. So we're going to look at this section 21 to 25, and I'm just going to read it. And with everything we've been thinking about, hold that in your mind. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. So separate from the law, to which the law and the prophets had been pointing all along, testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. That's between people who followed the law and didn't follow the law. There's no difference. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So my question is this. If I couldn't be saved or put holy, made, put right or made holy, and this word justified means just as if I'd never sinned, okay? Just as if I'd never sinned, as if I'd never sinned all along. So if I couldn't be justified by myself and I couldn't be made holy by myself by trying to obey a bunch of rules and laws and boundaries, what is my role to be? What is my role to be? So for 30 seconds-ish, turn to the person next to you, and from this passage here, God sent Jesus, Jesus has died, what's our role? Okay, discuss, 30 seconds, go. Okay, how many of you, looking at the screen, picked out these words here? Believe. That's our role, is to believe it. How many of you picked out this, to receive by faith? That's our role. Jesus is our rescuer. He's our rescuer. And he's the one. We can be saved from the consequences of our sin and separation from God through believing. Through believing, Jesus did it. And all he's saying to us is, will you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you receive it? God is saying he's holding out the most beautiful gift to us. He's the one that bridges the gap. Jesus did what we couldn't do. And Jesus is holding out to you the most incredible gift to every single person on this planet from what he did on the cross. He says, I died for you. I died for you. I love you. I totally forgive you for everything you've ever done that you're ashamed of, that nobody else even knows about. I totally forgive you. I've made provision for that. I've made provision for that. I've paid for it. I I shed my blood for you willingly, voluntarily, because I love you. And I'm holding out to you peace with me, peace with God. That missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle where nothing quite was at peace before. I'm holding out peace. I'm holding out freedom from guilt and fear and shame. I'm holding out complete cleansing, washing of the slate, wiping clean. I'm holding out to you 
being able to know that you are unconditionally loved just as you are. You don't have to try and earn my love. I'm holding it out to you. It's what Jesus is saying. I'm holding out to you unconditional love. Did we deserve it? No. We deserved justice, didn't we? We did get mercy on the cross, which is good, but he didn't stop there. He gave us grace, what we didn't deserve. Forgiveness, eternal life, a beautiful relationship with him now, that starts now. And this is being held out to every single person today, now. But also, it's only the beginning. It's not salvation where we get saved by rescue. It's not a tick box exercise. Yep, I believe in Jesus and I just carry on just as I was before, but I got my ticket to heaven. That's not what this is about. I believed in Jesus when I was a little girl, but it wasn't until I was 19 when I actually surrendered my life to him, when I surrendered it and said, your way, Jesus. I am daring to believe you are good and your boundaries for me are good. Unlike a lot of bishops in the Church of England who are actually disagreeing at the moment with the fact God's boundaries are good, from my perspective anyway, I dared when I was 19 to say, Jesus, you are good, and I'm going to trust you with my life because I trust you that you are good. And that wasn't till I was 19, that surrender. From the minute we believe in Jesus, we are saved for eternity. But salvation is past, like when you say yes to Jesus, that's an event, that's a moment, and for some of you, that could be right now today. It could be right now today. This This is available for you today to say yes to Jesus. So it's a one-off event, past, but then it's present. It's now. It's every day. Every day, I'm going to give my yes to Jesus. I want you to forgive that person, Mary, but I don't want to. They hurt me and they annoyed me. They upset me and they did something wrong that hurt me. Will you go my way, Mary? Will you go my way? The thing is, salvation is past, present, and future. And for me... The minute you ask Jesus into your life, he comes into your spirit. My spirit came alive. But guess what? My mind, my emotions, my will, all of that stuff is on a journey. Okay? Anybody else? It's on a journey to say yes to Jesus every day. That stuff is getting saved. It is getting saved. I've got to work out my salvation with Jesus with fear and trembling every day. And I have conversations with him real conversations. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling annoyed. I'm feeling fearful. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this. And we do real conversations. We do the adventure of life with Jesus, with someone who knows the grot and the rottenness in my mind and in my heart and loves me unconditionally. And I get to do life with Jesus. And then one day when I, my body falls apart and I step in over the threshold into eternity, I will see this beautiful Jesus face to face. Salvation is one moment, can be once you've said yes to Jesus, it's past, then it's present, I'm working it out, this adventure of life with Jesus, and then it's future. So I'm coming into land, you'll be pleased to know, but I'm going to finish on a story. But before this story, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in a minute after the story. After the story, I am going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus if you have never had If you've never said yes to Jesus, there's a whole bunch of people here who've never said yes to Jesus. You might have been to church loads in your childhood. You might have heard this story. You might kind of think, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but never made it personal. He's holding out his hand to you, to you, to you. He's holding out his hand and saying, will you say yes to me? And some of you might think, yeah, I kind of heard that all along and you know, all the rest of it. But actually, you've never really responded in your heart. You know it. I'm giving you the chance today. And in fact, Jesus gives you the chance every day. He made provision for everybody, the whole world. But every single person needs to choose. Will you say yes? Will you say yes? He's giving you a choice. He's not going to force you. So when I finish my little story in the end, we're all going to stand And I'm going to ask you, if you want to, two things. One, you've never said yes to Jesus in your whole life, or you just kind of have kidded yourself you have, maybe at university or maybe at school or whatever. You kind of grew up with this stuff, but never really bought into it, never surrendered. I'm going to to give you the option of coming right to the front, in front of everybody, and we're all British here, so that's not going to be awkward or embarrassing, is it? Right? Right to the front to kneel down here on this step. Because Jesus says, anyone who acknowledges me before before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Why would you want to do it in secret? There are loads of us here who've done this. I'm going to invite you to say yes to Jesus in front of everybody. I mean, you won't have to say anything. You just come and kneel, okay? Awkward, embarrassing, yes. If nobody comes, will that be awkward, embarrassing for me? Not really. I don't mind. But I want to give you opportunity And the second thing is, if you have done that already, but you just know you've drifted away from God, he feels distant from you. So you you said yes to him originally, but you haven't really been living for him. Or you just feel like, I have been living for him, but I really freshly want to rededicate my life to Jesus. It's like that fresh, Jesus, this is the best news in the world, and you've reminded me about it today, and I just want to say yes to you all over again. So if you're in either of those two categories, first yes for Jesus, or a second yes, Jesus, I just want to recommit my life to him, then if you're in that category after my story, come forward and kneel, okay? And I'm just going to pray a prayer, and then we're going to sing sing a worship song. So this is my story. 2020, all remember that year? Let's scratch our heads. Yes, that dreadful year. So... At the end of the year, things started to open up and flights, flights started to happen again. Do you remember that? A few people started to go on holiday. We had a flight book. We had a holiday booked ages ago to Turkey. And I was just thinking towards October, oh, won't it be nice to do something normal, get on an airplane and go and lie in the sun? But just the week before we were going to go, Turkey closed down. It closed its doors. Ugh. But we were offered the chance to go to Greece instead, to go to Corfu. So we quickly rebooked the flights at no different expense. And it's like, oh, great, we can go to Greece. So we got the cat organized. We got the kids organized. Well, they're, you know, they organize themselves now. They're old enough. Um, what else? We booked an Uber. We packed our bags. We packed our sun cream. We got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. We got in the Uber. And we got to Heathrow Airport at 4 o'clock in the morning. And it was like, oh, are we really doing this out of the ashes of COVID, out of the ashes of our Turkish holiday having gone? Wow, we're still going to get to go. And we go, we queue up and we get to the desk and we hand in our passports. Have a sip of water. Hand in our passports. And she says to me, and she looks at them, checks it all, that's all fine. And then she says, have you got your QR code? And I said, oh, here's all my documentation. And I'm, I'm handing, you know, handing you the bit of paper and everything, waiting to get my boarding pass. 
And she looks at it and she says, she says, no, 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 have you got your QR code? And I said, um, well, everything I've got is just on, on here, you know. And she's like, madam, have you got your QR code? And I said, um, what do you mean? And she said, the QR code that you, that you were told in all your documentation that you needed to apply to, to the Greek authorities for the QR code, and they would send you a QR code the day before you flew by email. Um, and I was kind of thinking, well, what's she talking about? Surely I've got everything here. I mean, we've rebooked our flights and, you know, all the rest of it. I've got my mask, you know, what else do I need? And she looks at me and she says, Madam, you need a QR code or you cannot fly. And so I'm looking at Andy and we're looking at each other and we're kind of, our mind, you know, when, you know when someone's telling you something and you can't quite get it? We were in that mode. Our mind was like, what? Surely, surely we've got the QR code, surely we've got everything we need. And, and suddenly, it was sort of dawning on me, we might not have this QR code. And, and there was this sort of sinking feeling coming over me of disbelief at the same time. And, and she said, Madam, we cannot put you on the plane because if you do not have this QR code, you would be sent back when you get to Greece. And at this point, I, I'm really start, we're starting to realise, actually, this is a bit serious. I don't think we've got it. So we were sort of pushed to one side to regroup, and she carried on serving people. And we were kind of chatting to each other and just feeling a bit helpless. And we realised that looking through everything, we did not have whatever this QR code she was talking about was, we didn't have it. And it suddenly dawned on us with our little suitcases by our side that we were just going to have to go home. And so we kind of picked up our little suitcases and sort of walked outside and phoned the Uber and, and got an Uber home. And I just felt horrible. I felt sick. Anyway, we did get home. And of course, first thing I did was go on all these emails. And sure enough, amazingly, they're in bold letters at the top of every bit of documentation I had been sent was, you need to click here and apply to the Greek authorities for this QR code, which they will send you the day before you fly. Had I seen it? No. Had I ignored it? Yes. But you know, when I was driving home in that Uber, feeling horrible, feeling sick, feeling disbelief, I suddenly had this thought... What would it be like to die and stand before Jesus and him say, did you reply? Did you reply to the invitation? And me say, well, I didn't get an invitation. I didn't get an invitation. What are you talking about? I'm I'm quite a good person. And him say, but did you reply? Did you reply? Did you reply that day, that Sunday? When that woman was wittering on for too long and you wanted a coffee, did you reply then? Did you reply when your friend told you about it at school, when your friend told you about it at university, when someone, colleague and a neighbour told you what I did on the cross? Did you reply? And I literally sat in the taxi and I wept because however horrible it was not to go to Corfu, I felt sick at the thought that there will be people that stand before Jesus and say, I didn't reply. I didn't reply. And that then we'll be turned away from all eternity, from the one who loves us and made us and loves us unconditionally. Let's stand. Perhaps the band could just come up. I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. We're just going to have silence for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself this question. 
have I replied? And you know what? If your heart is going like this, boom, 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 because you know I'd said I'm going to give opportunity for you to come forward. If your heart is going boom, 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 this is for you. This is today. This is today. And maybe you've come here for months and listened and you like being here and you like, you like the worship and you like the people and you like the coffee, but you've never said yes. This is your chance. Or maybe you've never heard this message before and you think, I want this. I want Jesus. I want forgiveness. This is your chance. Or it might be you just want to recommit your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you, thank you. And I'm giving you my yes all over again. So now with no music playing, no fanfare, no hype, come forward. Come forward now. Come and kneel. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus and give him your yes all over again and your surrender, just come. Just start coming forward. Or if you want to do this for the first time ever, come and kneel. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well done. And loads of us have done this. Loads of us have done this. And people here don't think this is weird. This is normal. Come forward. Your heart's going boom, 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 and you know who you are. Don't miss this opportunity. Just come. If you want to give him your fresh yes, come. Come. You're welcome. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. There are more. There are more. Come. Come, come, come and kneel, come and kneel, you're welcome, you're welcome, you are so welcome, come and kneel, well done, well done, there are more, be brave, be brave, be brave, your heart's going like this, there are two more, at least, come, come, come. Yeah, well done, well done, well done. Come and kneel, squish in. Anyone else? Come. Come. And I'm going to pray. So if this is for the first time, if this is you saying yes for the first time, or the first time you've really understood it, we're going to pray this. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all that stuff in my life. I'm sorry for the stuff I've thought and I've said and I've done. I'm sorry for sticking two fingers up at you and not believing that you really, really are good. I'm sorry for mistrusting that you have my best interests at heart. I'm sorry for being rebellious. I'm sorry for doing life my way. I'm sorry for just pretending to be a Christian when actually my heart is really stubborn and against you, and I'm just determined to do what I want anyway. I'm sorry for not listening to your voice before, but I want to say I'm just giving you all that rubbish, all that rubbish, all that sin, all that selfishness. I'm giving it you all right now, Jesus. I'm putting it on you on the cross. Thank you that you paid. Thank you you paid, Jesus. You paid the price in your blood for me, and I want to say Thank you, because I can't do it myself, but you did it for me. And I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you, thank you. I receive your gift of love. I receive your gift of forgiveness. I receive your gift of life, eternal life. I receive it. I say yes. I say yes to McDonald's. I say yes to the candlesticks and all the silver. I say yes to the QR code. I say yes to it all. I say yes to what you have done for me, Jesus. And I am so grateful. And I receive that forgiveness now. And I forgive myself. I let it all go. 
I let it all go to you, Jesus. I let it all go to you. And if you've said that ages ago, but you're just recommitting your life, Jesus, I'm thanking you again, all over again for what you did. And if there's been any distance between you and him, Jesus, I'm sorry for that. And I want to be close to you again. And I choose to give you my yes. I choose to live this adventure of faith with you every day and give you my yes every day. I freshly recommit to that. I freshly say thank you to you again. Will you fill me now with your Holy Spirit? And just put your hand on your heart. All of us, if you love Jesus already and you're giving your yes to him, put your hand on your heart. Jesus, freshly fill me with your Holy Spirit right now that I can do this adventure of life with you. That I can work out my salvation with fear and trembling. That I can be honest with you every day, Jesus, but I choose to go your way. I give you my yes. I give you my yes all over again. All over again. All over again.